Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Crash, the Culture, Technology and Creative Show, episode 238, recorded on Sunday, the 10th of February 2019, at 23.35.11. A couple of hours ago, I went to the pub. Although it sounds like I had a few alcoholic drinks, I didn't actually. I got to the pub fueled by a monster ultra, and one of the main reasons I went to the pub is I couldn't be bothered to cook. I just had a low-calorie chicken burger and a salad, and one of those San Pellegrino lemon drinks, and then... I came home, stopping briefly to buy two Yorkies, and then stuffed them down with the remainder of my Monster Ultra. Actually, the Monster Ultra is still on my desk, so there is still some caffeine. Not that any of that is really important. I am getting back into podcasting a little slowly. Hopefully you've downloaded and listened to the last podcast, 237, the one about Doctor Who, where I started talking about old Doctor Who again, and the adventure I talked about was Terror of the Autons from 1971. I'm just doing a bit of extra marketing for that episode in this podcast. It wasn't a very long episode, Slightly less than 15 minutes. As you can hear, I'm getting better, but I'm still a bit snuffly, a bit bunged up, a bit sick, I have a cold. Headache, aching joints, vitamin D deficiency, and now photophobia. (laughs) Yeah, my eyes itch, and sunlight makes them water. So, sunglasses. It sounds ridiculous, but how goth is that? Or at least, it would be right on the nose years and years ago when I had more hair, was thinner, wore more black, and was keeping boots going from all the eye makeup I was wearing. But now, it's just sad and old. At least, it isn't glaucoma, as some young wag recently, well, maybe a year or two ago, commented. The only thing black I wore recently were my trousers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It has been quite a bizarre last few days. I've been so accident-prone. I... Don't know if it's something to do with a cold. I have been told it is to do with a cold. Maybe the balance thing related to my inner ear, which sounds plausible. Because, like I've said, there are all sorts of squelching noises coming from within my head. If you ever wondered what a head cold is, I think this must be it. Although that cold seems to be located in more than just my head. Yeah, let's talk about that accident-prone thing for a moment. Sausages, tomato ketchup, TV remote, don't mix. You know how I know? 
I made myself a Linda McCartney sausage sandwich the other day. And my TV remote that I have kept pristinely, never dropped, perfectly clean. I always keep it face down. Well, a sausage flew out of my sandwich covered in tomato sauce. And it didn't just tragically hit the floor. Oh no. On the way down to the floor, it bounced off my remote control for the TV, splattering it well, getting tomato sauce into all the little bits. It was a nightmare. Do you remember me telling you about my new laptop battery that has hardly been used? Well, the other day I took it out of the box because I thought, I'm going to do some writing and I don't want to plug in. I want to be mobile, move around and do some writing. Took it out of the box, put it into my laptop, and again, being a bit woozy and clumsy and woolly-fingered, it fell straight out of my laptop onto the floor, breaking off one of the little plastic catches and rendering it useless. <sighs> so I had to buy a new battery. Almost immediately. And you know that other thing that I was talking about, about having two phones, one dumb phone and one smartphone? That means phone juggling. And you know what phone juggling means? It means phone dropping. Thus endeth the two-phone experiment. I also tripped over my bed, then seconds later almost killed myself with a coffee table, I decided not to try to practice my guitar a couple of days ago for fear of surfing down the stairs on it and ending up in the toilet. Well, let me talk you through this. Most of my gear is downstairs, the studio stuff. But I keep my instruments in a small room upstairs. So to play something, I need it to bring it from that small storage room downstairs. At the end of my stairs, there's this little wall. Beyond that little wall is a toilet. Now, a couple of years ago, I did manage to fall down the stairs and not kill myself, but I'm not sure that I want to risk my guitar. So I didn't do that was a good thing, because I was definitely on a roll of just having these stupid, endless accidents. <sighs> and I think the last annoying accident, well, I'll get to that. The penultimate annoying accident I had was slamming my thumb in a kitchen drawer. When I told my parents over Skype about my exploits, or rather my mum, I somehow infected her, and she managed to smash a mug, which is no biggie, shortly before my dad broke a key off in the lock, which is a biggie, 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 expensive biggie. Oh. And yeah, let's... Yeah, okay, I didn't tell you about the final accident, hopefully, of the week, which was when I managed to scrape a steel post 
where I parked my car. Now I've been parking around that area in similarly difficult to reach parking spots for years and I have always managed to successfully negotiate those posts. In fact, I'm better at parking than most people. Most people wouldn't even attempt the parking that I would attempt. And, yeah, it had to happen. I managed to catch the post, and in a fit of flamboyant cavaliermanship, what I should have done was stop and reverse. I thought, no, I can make it. So I kept on turning and... That was a sound it made as it scraped off my paint from my bumper. I mean, I suppose I have an excuse because I've got one of those cars where the bumper projects far out from the body of the car itself, like a lot of American cars. I think it sticks out at least six inches. But I've been driving that car a long time and have never managed to do anything so stupid. Uh, do you know what I think started this trend? It's the next thing. And I've talked about the Royal Mail completely cocking up my deliveries before. Special delivery managed to lose my mail. And this is where the accident started. I somehow managed to lose the receipt, which again is something I never do. Great! I did try and find out from the post office what the receipt number was or whether they had a copy of it, but the guy at the counter helpfully said, as long as I could tell him all the info on the original receipt off the top of my head and actually some other information specific to the post office, he could find a copy for me. So what he's saying is I need more information than I originally had from the receipt in order for him to find me a copy of the receipt. Really helpful. <sighs> and you know what was... Even more great, because I'm in this weakened state, I actually thanked him for trying afterwards. What is wrong with me? It's totally not punk rock. <sighs> I think the motto for special delivery should be, for a couple of quid more, we guarantee to lose your parcel. As you can probably tell by now, my pod's heat shield is overheating. I feel that burnout is imminent. And this is what happens when I reach peak moan. And I can't even be bothered to consume any new media. Because the balance of good stuff swings back to the old stuff. But this isn't a retro podcast. So... Expect the show to be all over the place as I attempt to pilot my pod while not burning up as I re-enter the atmosphere of Geek Planet. <sighs> Believe it or not, that was somehow just the pre-show section. Let's swing positively into the show section. How it ends. 
Oh boy. I was desperate for something to watch. And this really drove the nail into the coffin of me consuming new stuff. How it ends is a useless peri-apocalyptic movie. Peri-apocalypse around the time of the apocalypse. I think it's the first time I've hyphenated apocalyptic in that way. But I use the word apocalypse and variations thereof so often that, well, I suppose it could do with a bit of variation. Anyway, in this movie, a husband and his father-in-law go on a road trip to find the husband's wife, who is stranded somewhere else during the chaos. Forrest Whitaker is the hyper-competent, disapproving, military dinosaur of a father-in-law. Look, it's a damp squib, and that silly title really does foreshadow the useless ending. Really, really useless ending. You will see exactly what I mean if you are unfortunate enough to watch this movie. As I'm a creative myself, I'm always loath to savage <laughs> properties like this. So I will attempt to add something positive to how it ends, which, by the way, is almost universally panned. I will say there was nice special effects and CGI, and actress Grace Dove was a nice touch. Alert. More moaning imminent. Bezos the hero? Really? Come on. I just spent, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, £20 plus on a new laptop battery from Amazon. I have a story out on Kindle, and yes, Bezos responded well to blackmail. But Hero? Listen, he's still too rich. He is so rich, he deforms the global economy. No one deserves to be that rich. No one should be that rich. And yet, he still solicited tax breaks he doesn't need from cities desperate for employment. Let's not forget that. And Gimlet. Oh boy. Gimlet. How much is it worth? Look, I like some of the shows on Gimlet, and I like Alex Bloomberg. Well, I don't know him personally, but he seems like a nice enough chap. But how much? <laughs> I thought Gimlet were generating about 30 million-ish, and now Spotify have paid 2 million-ish for them. Are Spotify idiots? Or is Alex Bloomberg really good at selling stuff? How is that worth it? How? Just tell me. Just anyone, please... Get in touch with me, roy.martha, M-A-T-H-U-R, at gmail.com, and explain how Gimlet Media is worth that much. And I thought he started Gimlet Media to make podcasts and to run a startup. 
I honestly did not think he was up for selling his baby. I really hope Alex buys a boat. This has a Flying Dutchman twang to it. A boat in exchange for your soul. Let's take a break from the moaning for a moment and something I've been exploring lately and that is using cData, a function in XML, to include links in show notes. If you are wondering how it's done, this is how it's done. It's also a bit of a process to go through all the old shows that I have already done and fix all the formatting errors I have made since 2012 if I was to do this. I have thought that instead of doing it all in one go, if I do it, I'll do it gradually, so eventually the notes will be really easy to access. If you decide to do this for your own show, just Google the text string CData. C-D-A-T-A. It is quite easy to use, but what I have found is it only seems to work within the item tags for each show rather than the iTunes podcast description tags field where you say what your podcast is about under the title, which is why all those podcast descriptions in iTunes seem to be in plain text. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that yet. It's a lot of work, and I'm not really sure what the benefit is. But we'll see. Okay, every now and then, one of my bugbears is talking about writing interruptions, particularly when working from home. So this is probably writing interruptions when working from home, part 10 million. Here we go. Pointless replacement driveways. Here's my advice. When that idiot salesman who's destroying slash improving next door's driveway comes knocking, tell him no thanks. Block paving doesn't need jet washing. If you do, you'll remove the sand and then end up paying another bunch of idiots to fix the mess. Okay, so I get it. You might not have block paving, but a lot of us in England do. If you live in a flat... Eh, then this isn't a problem. You've got a whole host of other problems to deal with. But people coming to knock on your door selling you rubbish is one of the facts of working from home. Which is, I suppose, the point. And also not being conned into having your driveway destroyed. As writers working from home, we are plagued by these nitwits. Just never answer the door. Unless, of course... It's a life or death kind of thing. Yeah? If your house is on fire, then please leave your house. (laughs) Hopefully with your writing safely backed up on a USB thumb drive in your pocket. Okay, submissions and abreasting. Abreasting is not a real word, it's a verb I made up. So literary agents listening to this podcast... I do know how to spell. I have now been rejected by just about every major London literary agency. Thank you. But have I let that get me down? 
Now, if this was one of those self-help podcasts, I would say, no, I am still absolutely fine. But the truth is, of course it has. In a fit of anger, I googled a bit last Thursday and found two publishers open for submissions. Of course, I immediately submitted, within the excited throes of which I dropped my battery. Let's call back to the battery. Remember that? The broken battery? At least I broke the battery doing my job. How? In God's name... Are you supposed to keep abreast of these infinitesimally teeny submission windows? How? You know what this is like? It's as if no one actually wants books. But I tried my best. Recently, I started following a few accounts on Twitter that hopefully will tip me off when there is a submission window within perhaps a literary agency, perhaps... A publisher. And if you want to know who those accounts are, just have a look on Twitter and see who I'm following. Another thing that has slowly percolated into my brain is that at the end of the year and at the beginning of the new year, those tend to be the times when publishing houses, literary agencies, talent agencies, people who are after creative content and creative content writers start casting their net out and looking for new talent. So it is roundabout now, or rather, we're coming to the end of that period now. So around October, November, December, January, February, March tends to be the time when entities are open for submissions. So keep a lookout and have your query letters ready to roll. And now we've talked seriously about creative stuff. Well, I suppose this is still serious, or it's not vital, but I just wanted to share with you what submitting a manuscript is like. Version 2. Warning, this has a high negativity quotient. I once said, and have subsequently removed, because I always want to create a really good impression online and show everyone how positive I am, but let me share this with you in possibly an even more public forum. I feel that submitting a manuscript is like the Lambeth Walk, only faster, backwards, and through a third-story plate glass window. Now, if you think that's pretty negative, I've modified that slightly recently. Oh, and by the way, for non-Londoners, the Lambeth Walk is a kind of dance thingy. Look it up. Okay, you ready? Submitting a manuscript is like the Lambeth Walk, only faster, backwards, and through a plate glass window, then being impaled at the bottom of a very much longer drop on rusty iron spikes irradiated with polonium and coated with Novichok. 
Why am I telling you this? Well, as I said earlier, I submitted to a few publishers this week. One was the usual kind of submission. The other one was incredibly finicky about requirements. So much so that it took me four hours and hurt my posterior. It was after that that I messed up my car. If you are a writer, just a warning, you're also expected to be a wheeling-dealing entrepreneur too. Don't expect just to write. You have to sell, 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 which is a pity because it takes away from the time you should be spending writing. Sure, you can be both a good writer and a good business person. Those creatives do actually exist. But so do the writers who are just better at selling their less great stuff. So, like life in general, if you're wondering why subpar stuff ends up on the bookshelf, this is it. This is the literary equivalent of failing upwards. Even better? What's an even better way of getting a book out there? I'll tell you what, I'll make it easy for you. It is having a few million followers on social media or a popular blog. Those are both great ways of getting a book deal and some ghostwriters to write it for you, which one or two quite big and reputable publishers will actually supply for you. You don't have to do anything. And you see these people of dubious talent guesting in Waterstones or WH Smith all the time and people actually lining up to buy their books. I could lie and tell you I don't know why, but that's not true. Of course, celebrity sells. Of course it does. Even Aristotle, the king of rhetoric, knew that. And here's something that gets on my nerves every now and then. I think the reason I'm bringing up that old literary fiction nonsense again is that I read an article about it and it enraged me again. Personally, I think literary fiction is either fiction that isn't easy to define with a slightly higher than average amount of purple, less common themes, a sense of worthiness, don't get me started on that, is written by someone who is identified as of the intelligentsia, or a combination of those things. In other words, it is utter nonsense and should be ignored. Some of the more notable works of good writers like Margaret Atwood and Salman Rushdie should be classed as science fiction and fantasy, respectively. And that should be done without shame. How about less easily definable books? Chuck them in the general fiction. Literary fiction as a genre is just a way of marketing to snobs. It does not help you find a book in a shop or library, or is it in 
any way a reliable form of classification. For example, my last book, which is still making the rounds, is a light, fun adventure, but is also about ennui, PTSD, disability, race, violence, and corruption. I just didn't make a song and dance about it in my query letter, because spelling out this stuff makes me cringe. That was a mistake, because as I said before, we as writers really need to sell ourselves. It was a mistake because I was crediting the people I was contacting to understand that. I suppose not only was that a little ignorant of me, but that was probably expecting a bit too much. Because that query letter is very important in selling your book. I should point out that, apart from being self-published on Kindle, I am not a traditionally published writer yet. In fiction, I don't have a book. On the other hand, I have been a writer for a newspaper where I was published multiple times, but that's not quite the same thing. I'm trying to be an author of fiction, and that hasn't quite happened yet, so what I'm saying shouldn't be taken as the best advice in the world, it's just what I'm learning as I'm going, so I don't want to sabotage your own efforts. Do what you think is right, listen to me talk about my own journey, and hopefully it will help you get published. Which brings us on to even more career advice for arty types. I promise I'm going to stop doing this soon. I have in my podcast to-do list three podcasts ready to roll. One of them is about an hour on writing and all the things I've learned so far. But frankly, I've already covered this and I don't see the point in summarising it. I don't see any real value at this stage in regurgitating that just to make another episode, because I have done loads of those, and there are a lot of podcasts purporting to tell you how to get published out there, which don't often carry the same warning that I'm not an expert. So be careful. If you listen to other podcasts that say this is how to get published, check out whether that author really is published themselves. And again, take it with a grain of salt, because I don't think finding a literary agent, finding a publishing house is that easy. Even if you are a good writer. Look at Stephen King, look at J.K. Rowling. Yeah, back to the career advice for the arty types. And also their parents. If you are a parent, make sure you listen to and encourage your kids, and also make sure their education is well-rounded. I say well-rounded because a lot of my education in England was... <laughs> not well-rounded, and I don't think it's getting any better. The schools are only teaching what is necessary for you to pass the exams, not what is necessary for you to be a well-rounded human being, 
or to even cope with the adult world. If you're looking to do something in media or the creative sphere, it's even more difficult. I was talking to my mother on Skype recently, and we both bemoaned our lacklustre opportunities. I mean, I definitely had more opportunities than my parents, but if we could have that time again, for example, my dad would have been a communications engineer. My mum would have gone to medical school or law school, and I would have done drama or English literature at university. Which is the point at which this <laughs> becomes relevant to this podcast. But coming from minority working class backgrounds, we had no opportunities, no resources, no mentor figures, nothing at all. I was told that I could look forward to manual labour by a series of useless headmasters and career advisors, one of which was not even human, but was in fact an expert system. <laughs> really badly programmed expert system. So, rubbish algorithms are hardly new. So, we did the best we could. The point is, make sure your children, if you have them, are getting what they need. Because, as far as I can see, no one is going to be looking out for them. Not even successive governments of all parties who seem to not give a fig about this stuff. And if you are a kid and your parents are useless and there is no one else in your life who can help and you don't have any mentors, then you bang on doors and DIY it before it's too late. Don't let anyone say you aren't good enough, because plenty will to your face, and I know that that's easier said than done. I really do know. But don't give up and watch out for the scammers. <laughs> yeah, we all know who you are. Those modelling agencies with really expensive headshot services. Those vanity publishers. Those competitions with suspiciously high entry fees. Scammers, the lot of them. The creative and media industries aren't any different or somehow better than, for example, finance. Just because it is stuffed full of the arty crowd. In fact... I'd go as far as saying our industry is probably a little worse and predatory, especially for people at entry level. And then there's also the cronyism and nepotism. So again, watch out for the disreputable. They're everywhere. But do not let it make you give up. For every Mozart discovered, there are another three drowned under a sea of toading Salieri's. Okay, before I let that last one go, <laughs> I'm talking about, of course, 
the fictional Salieri in Amadeus, not the actual one who, for all I know, was a stand-up guy. So what can you take from all this? Keep at it. Don't give up. Be cautious. And now... Well, it's the end of the show. We're in the after-show section. I was going to... Hmm... Eat some sweets at this point. But after stuffing down those two Yorkies a few hours ago, it's the last thing I want to do. But I have bought something specially for this podcast. Now, I was going to open them a bit earlier, but I forgot. They're staring right at me, so I'll do it now. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. How do you open this? Really hard to open plastic bag. Sorry. Just bear with me a moment. It's, it's, it's worth it. Honestly. What are after-show sections for, if not frivolity? I've got a nice blue one. It's nothing weird. Okay, you ready? just go all the time. It, it's one of those blowy, spirally, papery, party favour type thingies. For God's sake. Oh, there you are. It looks like, it makes me look like I'm a chameleon and I'm shooting out this foot-long Squeaky tongue. Okay, that's enough frivolity. I've got to edit this thing. Yeah, what else? Okay, let's end on a slightly more positive note. There's this YouTube video that I watched recently of a herd of elephants gently and with infinite patience helping a baby elephant cross a stream. It is the cutest thing I have seen. The elephants, all huge, of course, they're elephants, and the cute little baby elephant keeps trying to cross the stream and then turns around and runs off. And the adult elephants just let this go on as long as is necessary. They try and very gently guide the baby across the stream And they just keep doing it and doing it. And they do not lose their patience. And let me tell you, I don't think this is something that the human primate is capable of. Another time, it must be a year back, I was in a shop and almost had a barney with some obstreperous nincompoop who wouldn't let me pass on my way out of the crowded shop. So this tiny chap with, I think, learning difficulties stepped into the fray and parted the crowd for me like a very, very gentle Moses. It was a comical situation, but a very kind gesture. 
I don't know what all that means, perhaps nothing at all, but these little acts of kindness don't make me any less critical of humanity, but they do inspire me to pass on that gentleness sometime. Yeah, doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it is nice to see elephants and, very occasionally, people doing nice things. It is just so good to see that we humans can sometimes be more than vicious primates. I think that's ending on a positive note, though the words vicious primates wouldn't really indicate that. But I'm done for now, done with the... (laughs) Man, that really did sound a bit like a sermon, didn't it? In possibly the least religious show on the planet. This show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. My surname is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find me at roymartha.com, and you can contact me by emailing roy.martha at gmail.com. If you want to help the show, please review it in iTunes. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. You were listening to Crash, the Culture, Technology and Creative Show episode 238, recorded on Sunday the 10th of February 2019, but ending on Monday the 11th of February 2019 at 26 minutes past midnight and 3 seconds. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!